Our sermon text this morning comes from 1 Samuel chapter 18. If you have your Bible, please uh, turn with me there. If you don't have a Bible, you can go again to the Pew Bible, page 226. 226. We're continuing today a series that we've been working on all fall in 1 and 2 Samuel. We're digging deeper into the life of David this week as we look at this friendship, this relationship between David and Jonathan, which you may have heard of before. If not, we'll catch you up. Uh, We're going to begin at verse 1 and we'll go all the way to verse 16. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of, the, of Saul's servants. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre as he did day by day. Saul had a spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but he had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. Well, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God endures forever. Amen. A single event can sometimes change the course of a life forever. Isn't that right? Uh, Many of us know that by experience. Sometimes those events can be very tragic, bad events that change our lives. Sometimes they can be very good events. But from that point on, life is never the same as it was before. David clearly had this issue. Uh, This whole chapter is about how one event changed the course of his life. It was not the day when Samuel anointed him in private. Remember, Samuel had come to his family and anointed him to be the future king, but nobody else knew about it. And so David's life kind of went on as normal after that. But from the moment David slew Goliath, 
All bets were off. Things changed. David began to rise in the eyes of the Israelites. He began to be praised in songs. Uh, two things happened because of that thing. Saul began to hate David and be jealous of him. And remember, Saul's the king, so that's a powerful man hating a teenage boy. And then a third thing happens. Jonathan, Saul's son, the prince of Israel, makes a covenant of love with David. And I want to tell you this morning, that third event, that covenant that Jonathan makes with David, is the most significant of all three of the events. It's more significant than David's popularity rising. It's more significant than Saul's hatred. Jonathan's covenant love and friendship with David changes the course of Israelite history and of the history of the world. Now, this is not just a story, a sentimental story about friendship. I will say in the course of the sermon today a few things about friendship because I do think there's some application to all of us there. But this is much more significant than that. This is a story about how we should respond when God reveals his king to us. See, Jonathan wasn't just any man. He was the prince. David wasn't just any man. He was the secretly anointed next king. Jonathan received him. Saul did not. And so the question before us is, what do we do when we are presented with God's chosen king? If you'll look at your bulletin, let's see together three questions today. We're going to work through these questions as we think about the story. Uh, first of all, how do we embrace God's king? How do we do that? Jonathan is the example. Secondly, why do we not embrace God's king? That's Saul as a negative example. And then finally... What reason do we have this morning for embracing the king that God has shown us? What reason do we have? All right, so first of all, let's look at how to embrace the king that God has chosen. Look at verses 1 to 5 again in chapter 18. Uh, Jonathan willingly yields his whole life to David. Everything he has, he gives to David. Now, you've got to think about that because Jonathan should have, at least from a human point of view, Jonathan should have felt threatened by David. Why? Jonathan was supposed to be the next king. His dad was king. He was the crown prince. As soon as his father declared secret war on David, what should Jonathan have done from a human perspective? Joined his dad, dear old dad, right? And, and lined up with dad against David, this pretender, this imposter. Because if David becomes king, that means who doesn't become king? Jonathan. Human wisdom, human common sense tells you Jonathan is crazy for what he does in these verses. And yet, look at verse 1. The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. At the soul level, okay, beyond the outward appearance, the, the very heart of who Jonathan was, was drawn to David's heart. And his soul was knit to David's soul as soon as he saw what David was all about, how he spoke, how he acted, the bravery and courage that he showed from the Lord as he fought Goliath. Dave, Jonathan loved this man. And committed himself to David's greatness rather than committing to his own greatness. 
Wow. What an absolutely counterintuitive thing to do for Jonathan. Don't read past this and think this is just an ordinary, everyday thing. After all, have you ever felt your soul knitted to somebody else's soul? Have you? Would you say that's a rare experience or a common? How many people has your soul been knitted to? Can you, is it more than the fingers on your hand? Probably not. It's probably a very select few people, maybe even just one person. Maybe just a spouse or someone like that. This is rare. So Jonathan has this very rare experience as he sees God's anointed king and observes how he behaves that drives him to do something very, very rare and uncommon, which is to lower himself so that somebody else can be raised up. We human beings simply do not do that. Uh, When's the last time you sold something expensive, Uh, maybe a car or something? And when someone gave an offer on your car, when's the last time you said, no, how about less? I'll give you 6000 How about four? I was thinking more like four. Anybody ever done that? No one would do that. In fact, what would you call someone who did that? A fool. Crazy. That's what most people would have thought about Jonathan here. His dad, in in the next couple of chapters, says that to Jonathan. He says, Jonathan, don't you realize that in choosing David, you have chosen your own demise? You idiot. You fool. Why would you do it? And yet the answer is clearly before us because he loved David with a very rare kind of love. He saw something in David that went beyond just the outward appearance. He saw that he must be the one that God has chosen to lead Israel. He's the kind of man after God's own heart to lead God's people. And so it says, Jonathan, in verses 3 to 5, cut a covenant with David. He, he made this covenant with him, which means he's going to take the friendship up to the next level and make a, an official commitment between the two. And he does something strange to show it. Uh, he takes off his robe and hands it to David. He takes off his armor, his sword, verse 4, his belt, his bow, and his belt, and he gives it all to David. Now, okay, if it's rare for your soul to be knit to someone, how rare is it for this to be the way a friendship starts? Has anybody ever walked up to you and said, hey, you want to be friends? (laughs) Right? Um, In today's world, I would encourage you to run. From that person, because th- that communicates something different today than it did then, especially in this case. What did it communicate here? It communicated, well, look at what he's giving not just a robe, but a sword, a bow, a belt, armor. He's giving his weapons, he's giving his, his arms to David, as if to say, David. I am completely and 100% in your service. All that I am now belongs to you. Whatever you want to do, I will follow. I will not be your enemy. I will be fighting with you and behind you. Here is my sword. Here is my bow. Here is my shield. Here is my armor. Here is all that I have. Jonathan saw God's king and gave everything up to be in a covenant friendship with him. 
Now think about that. Who for us as God's people today is God's anointed king? Let me tell you something about David. David's dead. And he hadn't come back to life yet. He's still dead, buried somewhere in Israel. But we have a king. The Christian message tells us we have a king, a greater son of David, greater than David ever, ever could have been, Jesus Christ, who is now not dead but living and has been established by God over all the kingdoms of this world. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And whenever Jesus Christ is presented to us, this ought to be the way we respond to him. There ought to be nothing that we would hold back. There ought to be no way in which we continue to say we're going to fight against Jesus' will for our lives. I'm going to keep my sword in case you try me, Jesus, and so I can use it. Instead, we ought to be like Jonathan and put ourselves in a low place by yielding all that we are to the one whom we recognize is much, much greater than we can ever imagine being, who delivers to us things that no one else can deliver us. Is this not the way the early disciples responded to Jesus? They left their fishing nets, their livelihood. Uh, they left their homes and their families, and it says they went and followed Jesus. What did John the Baptist say? It's famous, and you should memorize it and say this to Jesus all the time. He must increase, and I must decrease. Or he must become greater, and I must become lesser. John the Baptist was willing to do this counterintuitive thing, this thing that goes right against our human nature. Just like Jonathan, he was willing to lower himself so that God's king might be king rather than him, so that God's king might be glorified rather than himself. Now, I said there are also some lessons here for our friendships, and this is true. David and Jonathan's friendship is a great model of what friends and companions in Christ ought to be for one another. Because we have a great friendship with Christ, because we have given up all that we are to follow him, together we, also, we ought to also be willing to put ourselves low so that others around us might become greater. That's the key to all friendship. In our society, we just don't think about friendship this way. This is a strange thing to us. We think of friendship as being basically self-chosen. Uh, we don't think that God might be the master of ceremonies, uh, bringing one person into our life and another into our life and us into their life. We don't even think that way, but yet this, is, this text is showing us that's what God does. We also tend to think about friendships as being how they advantage me. Okay, what can I get out of it? We will drop friendships like hot potatoes when they stop advantaging us, especially when they start disadvantaging us. And yet, as one writer says, in our time that has such widespread avoidance of commitment, this story is as freeing as fresh air. It's clean and refreshing to read about David and Jonathan. For healthy relationships don't restrict us. They expand our lives. Don't believe the lie that to give up yourself to help someone else is to restrict your life. 
believe rather that like Jonathan, to give up yourself for someone else actually beautifies your life. Do you want to know what restricts your life? Well, stay tuned. I'll tell you about Saul. That's what restricts about your life. That's what makes it uglier and more poisonous. What makes your life beautiful is learning how to give yourself away. First to your maker and to his Christ. And then to your neighbors and especially to your brothers and sisters in Jesus. What have you done with God's king? How have you responded to Christ in your life? And how have you and are you responding to those who are also with you in Christ? That's the first thing. Let's look secondly at why people tend to reject and not embrace the king that God has chosen. Look at verses 6 through 11 for this where we have Saul's negative example. Saul does the opposite of his son, Jonathan. Instead of giving himself up, he clings to his own position And he lives out of selfish ambition. And one thing about selfish ambition is it always uh, cuts people off from us. It cuts us off from people. And it also cuts us off from the blessing of God. Look in verse 6. As they were coming home from a battle, uh, they were singing about David and Jonathan. And I'm sure that the women who wrote the song didn't mean anything offensive by it. They were just trying to turn a phrase. Uh, It sort of rhymes in Hebrew what they said. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. It has a rhythm to it. Probably they didn't mean any more by it. And yet, how did Saul see it? Verse 8, what does it say? He was very angry. And this statement, this saying, displeased him. It irked him. It got into his side. Or like a rock in the shoe. You see, when you see things through the green-colored glasses of envy and jealousy and selfish ambition, even good things you can turn into bad things. I mean, he should have said, oh, wow, okay, I've killed my thousands. Praise God. God gave me the chance to serve my country and his nation. Oh, David killed 10,000s? Praise God. Even more. The next generation is going to be better than me. Wow. Instead, all he could do was grumble. They have ascribed to David 10,000 and only to me 1,000. I hate that David. What more can they give him besides just giving him the whole kingdom? He he might just take the kingdom from me. I've got to stop him. And so it became murderous. This harmful spirit rushed upon Saul. And while David was playing the liar, by the way, if you haven't been here, he's playing the liar because he's trying to calm Saul down. Because Saul has some crazy spells. And David's over there playing the lyre, trying to calm him down. And, and the spear in Saul's hand becomes his first means of trying to kill David. He's going to continue to try to kill him, by the way, until the day Saul dies. I will pin David to the wall. You see, Saul is the anti-Christ, the anti-Messiah, the anti-John the Baptist, the anti Jonathan, instead of saying, he must increase, I must decrease, Saul says, I must increase, therefore he must decrease. Uh, It's a zero-sum game to Saul. 
If David gets anything, I get nothing. And if I get something, David can have nothing. And so let me get rid of this little pipsqueak and remove him from out of my way. Let me tell you, this is a picture of sin in all of its forms. Selfish ambition is the root of sin. It says, I will be God. I will replace God. I will be better than God. I will run my own life without God. I don't need to think about him. I don't need to listen to him. And because of that, it says, I need other people to fail so that I can succeed. Now, what is really restricting? Is it living to give yourself away to Jesus and for other people? Jonathan. Or is it trying to make your name great and to be awesome yourself in your own eyes and the eyes of others? Saul. Which one's better? Which one's more restricting and confining? And which one's more enriching? And isn't that opposite of what our culture tells us? Doesn't culture say, you be you. You're awesome. Make sure everybody knows you're awesome. And if people don't applaud for you, get mad and complain about it. Because you deserve applause, you awesome you. And I want to tell you, that is what Saul lived by. And he ended up a sad old man chasing a teenage boy around with a spear, raving mad because he made life about himself. Uh, Martin Luther, whose, whose work we're celebrating today on Reformation Sunday, said that sin is the great interning of the soul upon itself. It's the turning of our soul upon itself. Jonathan's soul had been knitted to another, had been knitted to God's Messiah, God's, God's David. But Saul had his soul knit to Saul. Saul, only Saul, Saul, in other words. And everything he did, it colored everything he did. The anger and the jealousy and all the rest came from this selfish ambition. Sin is here put on display. And I hope that when you see anger and when you see jealousy in your own heart, you will not take it lightly. You want to talk about friendship? The number one way to torpedo any friendship is to let anger, envy, or jealousy creep in. And to begin to feed it rather than to kill it. If you find out you have cancer, what should you do? Should you try to manage the cancer and only feed it a little bit? Or should you try to utterly destroy it? Utterly destroy it. You don't make peace with it. You don't make treaties with cancer. Do you? Because of the way it eats, literally eats at us from the inside out. And so in your heart, when we're in friendships with one another or when we're dealing with God and we, we feel that anger, that jealousy or envy rising up over anything, it doesn't matter what it is, let's not th think, oh, no big deal. I'll feed it a little bit in my off time and that'll make me feel better about myself. But it won't, it won't get out of hand. Oh, don't think that way. It will get out of hand. Ask Saul. What started as a private thought ended up becoming a 
public crisis as Saul sought to kill David. That's the second thing. That's why we don't embrace God's king. This was also, by the way, before we move on, this is why Jesus was crucified, by the way. You should note that. From a human point of view, I mean, we know it was God's plan, but from a human point of view, Jesus was put to death because people were jealous and envious of him. People were like Saul was to David, to Jesus. We have a great hymn in our our hymnal. It's called, My Song is Love Unknown. And one of the lines goes like this, What hath my Lord done? What makes this rage and spite against him? He made the lame to run. He gave the blind their sight. Sweet injuries. Yet all his deeds, their hatred feeds. They against him rise. It was selfish ambition that put Jesus on the cross. Not his own, but the selfish ambition of others around him who could not see Jesus for who he was. Which leads us to our final thing, and perhaps most important thing. What reason do we have this morning for embracing God's king? It's not David in front of us today. David is long dead. David, David we love and we talk about and we want to follow his example where we can and certainly believe in the God he believed in. But we have before us today a living king, Jesus Christ. And this text gives us a few reasons, one in particular that we want to focus on, for why every one of us ought to pull a Jonathan today and take off the robe, take off the belt, take off the sword, take off the bow, and yield it all to Christ. Look at verses 12 to 16. Saul was afraid of David. Why? Why was he afraid of David? Because the Lord was with him, and the Lord had departed from Saul, so Saul removed him. And David went out and came in before the people. God was with him, and he came in and went out before the people. He was put on display. From this time forward, David was a public figure. People thought about him. He was written up on in the Jerusalem Times. They they loved David, and all of his movements were carefully followed by all the people of Israel. Verse 14, his success was great. All of his undertakings were successful. Why? Because God was with him. What did that lead to? On the one side, Saul saw that he had great success and he was afraid. But on the other side, all Israel and Judah saw it and they, what does it say? They loved David. They imitated Jonathan. The soul of the nation was knit to David's soul because he went out and came in before them and they saw manifestly God was present with him. God was with him, causing the work of God to prosper in his hands. Now let me tell you a little bit this morning about Jesus. And I hope it will remove some of your prejudice. That was what it was that was causing Saul not to see the glory of David. And that's what it was that caused people, and and still today causes people not to see the beauty and glory of Jesus. It's prejudice. Let me tell you a silly example. This might help you understand what I'm talking about. Several years ago, there was a college football player named Tim Tebow. Have you ever heard of him? He played for the other team, from my perspective. 
He was the best player. He was so good, and I hated every moment of it. <laughs> he was also a great guy, it seemed like, and everybody loved how good he was, and I also hated every moment of that. <laughs> Literally, at that time, I remember feeling bad, and I should have felt bad. I was like, what am I doing? This is a kid, and I hate him, right? <laughs> and he's a good. And I realized what it was. My prejudice, based on my team versus his team, colored my ability to see how really good he was on the field and off. That's a silly example. Now look at Jesus with me. Look at Jesus. According to the Bible, the only way someone could look at Jesus and not say, awesome, wow, here's my robe, here's my belt, here's my sword, is because they have some kind of prejudice blocking them. Because Jesus is manifestly beautiful. If David had God with him, how much more did Jesus? When Jesus was God in the flesh, the Son of God from all eternity. If the undertakings of David were successful in his hands, how much more successful was Jesus in all of his undertakings? He healed the sick. He, he healed the, the blind and the lame. He raised the dead, as we saw earlier in the service. He himself was raised from the dead. He conquered death from within death. He took the sins of God's people and he carried them far away from them, never to be remembered again. The will of the Lord prospered in his hand. He brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He is now seated on high, crowned with many crowns over all the nations. In the preaching of his word, he calls us to come to him and have covenant love and friendship with him and by extension with each other. Now, how could we not look at that Jesus and think, there's God's king. Let me decrease that he might increase. Let me tell you. That is the greatest foundation of any friendship you'll ever have, any marriage you'll have, any, anything. Young people, when you're thinking about marrying, when you're thinking about making friends with people at school, think about it this way. You can be friends with people that don't believe in Jesus, of course. But there will be no greater bond than the bond between you and your fellow believers. Why? Because there's nothing like a shared experience of glory to bind hearts together. You saw Jesus, I saw Jesus. Jesus forgave you, Jesus forgave me. Jesus continues to love you, he continues to love me. He's coming back for me one day and he's coming back for you. Wow, there's a foundation for a marriage, for a friendship, for everything. But in order to have that, you have to in fact see Jesus and pull a Jonathan and not a Saul. What are you doing with God's king? How sweet is Jesus' name in your ears? How beautiful is he in your sight? What sword or bow or shield or armor plate are you holding back? Oh, give it today. He is worthy of all that we might yield. Amen.